Our topic today is evangelizing Muslims based on the model of Jesus. So we will be looking into how Jesus set an example for us. In fact, Jesus himself told us that he left an example for us to follow. In 1 John 13:15, he said, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In 1 Peter, uh, the disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter, says in chapter 2, verse 21, Christ left an example for us to follow. Paul, on the other hand, also said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, Be followers of me as I follow Christ. So we're going to look at the model of Jesus and we will refer to Paul and other apostles as well uh, in certain situations. Uh, in Philippians, Paul also tells us that uh, we need to have the mind of Christ, who also uh, came, humbled himself, and became a man uh, to die for us on the cross. So it is clear that the example of Jesus is our primary example and model. It is strange that many people go to all kinds of innovations and new ideas to learn how to evangelize. I'm not against reading books written by human beings. I wrote a book myself, and I'd like you to read it. But our main focus must be on the life of Jesus. How do we learn to evangelize uh, better than from the one who is the gospel himself? So let's look at the uh, model of Jesus. The first lesson we draw from the model of Jesus is that Jesus spent a lot of time in preparation before he started his ministry. Many people hear a missionary uh, speak in their church, and they uh, get challenged, they, uh, their hearts is touched, and they say, okay, how do I go? How do I get there? And uh, oftentimes they just... Uh, uh, get on the next plane, or they wait a few weeks or months, and they go there without any preparation. The, uh, the preparation that Jesus um, showed us, it demonstrated for us, is very intense preparation. Forty days in the desert in fasting and prayer. Why? It's very clear that Jesus uh, recognized that it is a battle. When we enter into ministry with Muslims, uh, we are entering a war. We are entering um, the front lines of the battle against the forces of darkness, against Satan. In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible tells us the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the work of Satan. And he uses us as his troops to do the same thing. So spiritual preparation is very important. Fasting and prayer. When was the last time you got on your knees and pleaded with God for the Muslim world? When was the last time you prayed for a specific person that uh, you have uh, wanted to witness to or are witnessing to? It is through prayer that we move the hand of God to shake up the nations, shake up the hearts of people, it is incredibly important that we prepare spiritually and not just get into the mission field too quickly. 
The second thing I want to point out, and uh, I am using the Gospel of Matthew as a model. Um, of course, we can learn a lot from Mark and Luke and John, and we'll refer to these as well. But I'm going through the book of Matthew to see like a survey of how Jesus did things. And uh, the first words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, after he... Um, he was baptized and uh, spoke, of course, with Satan, resisting the temptations. The first words that Jesus spoke in his ministry to people were these. It's taken from Matthew 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, the gospel without the word repent or without an invitation for people to repent from their sin and turn away from their old life into a completely new life is not a gospel, or at least is not a full gospel. Uh, strangely, many people I encounter and I meet, uh, people who say, I have converted and I'm now uh, I'm a Christian, they used to be Muslim, uh, after investigating and talking with them, asking them about their a testimony, I have recognized that many of them have not been invited uh, or have not been given the opportunity to repent and turn away from their old ways. They, they turned away from Islam, but they need to repent from sin because this is a spiritual conversion, not just a religious or political or social conversion. Uh, right there also in Matthew chapter 4, we learn from Jesus that he began his ministry after the public witness of calling people to repent. And uh, by the way, John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord by calling people to repentance as well. A baptism of repentance. And that's very critical. And we'll keep emphasizing that. But after that, Jesus began with a strategy. Do you have a strategy? Any strategy you have that's different than the strategy of Jesus is not the Jesus strategy. It's not following the uh, steps of Jesus or the model and example of Jesus. His strategy was to save the world, to uh, demolish the strongholds of Satan. But how did he, did he do it on the ground? He began with a few people. He selected a team, chose a team, and asked them to follow him and, and be attached to him and become his disciples. So he began with the 12 disciples. Uh, in my teaching about church planting, many times I have noticed my students have not even thought about that. Uh, they need to invest like Jesus invested their time, their effort into a few people who are key because Jesus, when he looked at these disciples, he knew ahead of time that in a matter of three uh, years uh, and a few months, he was going to leave them. And he later on in John chapter 14 and again in 16, he told them, it's better for me to leave you because when he was with them, uh, they were dependent totally on him. When people came to them 
or when they talk to people, they always brought them over to Jesus. We do that too. We bring them over to Jesus. But physically, Jesus is, was no longer with his disciples when he uh, went to be uh, on the right hand of the Father. That's why he said, I will leave you, but I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. So while Jesus left us in the body, he is still with us in the spirit. And uh, in the Great Commission, he says, uh, I will be with you forever. So uh, when Jesus discipled the twelve, he knew that at one time he's going to leave with them the mission of saving the world. In his time of three years of ministry, uh, Jesus only had a few followers, the twelve disciples. We are told also about the 72 in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, we have 120 people mentioned in the upper room. And uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 mentions 500 who were together at one time who saw Jesus after the resurrection. He appeared to them at one time. There may have been more than 500, but this is all that is recorded for us. 500 people who followed Jesus out of the thousands and tens of thousands who benefited from his ministry. It is very critical in our evangelism to be looking for people who will multiply themselves the way the disciples did. One of these um, uh, lessons I, derive, I got from Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says that... Um, uh, the Bible says that Jesus was going about from village to town to city, street to street, taking people to the hills and teaching them. And uh, we will refer to that later. But uh, it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he looks at his disciples and says, Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his field. I came to thinking about where will these laborers come from? Jesus had only 12 disciples. Where are they going to come from? Was God going to send them from heaven in a basket? No. What I believe Jesus was saying, and uh, this has been confirmed in many other instances, for example, in John chapter 4, when he when he saw the crowds, he said to them, Look, the fields are white for the harvest. Jesus was telling the disciples, Pray that from these people that we are ministering to, from these crowds will come out laborers. From that time on, every time I meet a Muslim, I ask the Lord, Is this person one of those twelve, so to speak, those who will become uh, tools in your hand to bring others. And I'm excited to report that just a few months ago, one woman from Saudi Arabia came to know Jesus Christ. I spent over four months witnessing to her, almost on a daily basis, as we met for Bible study every day for an hour. Sometimes we didn't get to meet. But after ten months, of investigation and study and 
conflicts and resisting and refusing many times, the Lord finally captured her heart. And I instilled in her the desire, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it in her own heart, to reach out to her own people. And since then, in fact, just today I received an email from her. Uh, since uh, she was saved last July, just a few months ago, she has already led five other Saudis to the Lord. We need to be looking at the people we're witnessing to as potential harvesters. And this in itself has revolutionized my thinking and my ministry. When Jesus began to work with his disciples, uh, he had clearly a threefold ministry. Uh, there's a lot of confusion today about uh, what ministry is. Many people think whatever you do that is good uh, is ministry. So some people do humanitarian work or teaching or businesses, missions, and so on. But Jesus taught us three elements of the ministry. I call them the threefold ministry of Jesus. And, and they are uh, also mentioned in Matthew chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 9 and other uh, places where Jesus does those three things. He preaches, uh, teaches, and heals. It says he went about teaching, preaching, and healing. Sometimes it's in that order. Sometimes preaching comes first. These three things, preaching, teaching, and healing, summarize the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. And the important aspect of this is that he was doing all three pretty much at the same time. When he was speaking to the crowds, you will find him preaching to those who need preaching, teaching his disciples, which is training them and helping them understand the deeper things of God, but also ministering to the physical needs of the people. Now, I want to stress that the, uh, there are many people who take the number three of the three, the healing, and they say, well, my ministry is healing. I remember talking to a doctor who was a missionary in Afghanistan. And he spent about an hour reporting in a church all that he was doing. I noticed that he was not talking about saving souls or Bible studies or church planting or evangelism. Uh, a lot of these words were missing in his talk. So I came to him privately and I asked him, do you do any spiritual ministry? He said, my ministry is medical work. I'm a medical doctor. I leave it for the evangelists to do evangelism. And I said, why should I support you? Why should this church support you? Uh, because you're, not, you're doing good work, but how is your work different than a Muslim doctor or, or uh, uh, doctors without borders who are mostly atheists uh, who are doing the same good thing that you're doing? If you do not heal in the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ, then you're, this is not part of the gospel. Jesus uh, healed to the glory of God. He was, he was saying, 
For example, the story of the blind man. Why was he born blind? He said, this is that God may be glorified. When he raised Lazarus, it was about the glory of God. We cannot do good works without the name of Jesus. Even when people give us water, it has to be in the name of Jesus to uh, bear any value, any spiritual value. Jesus' ministry was threefold, teaching, preaching, and healing. And we need to understand the difference between preaching and teaching. And I will be referring to that in another uh, class. Another thing we learn from the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew is uh, found in uh, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, Jesus did not make it easy for the disciples. Much of our teaching today is void of the cost of following Jesus Christ. Many times we water down the gospel to make it very easy for people to accept. We only talk about the nice things about the gospel. That God will forgive you, God will take you to heaven, give you eternal life, <coughs> and will answer all your uh, needs. But uh, Jesus warned his disciples that they will be hated, they will be persecuted, and they may even have to suffer death like he did. And he uh, invited them to follow him by carrying and bearing his cross. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Not because of some stupid things you did, but because of the gospel. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is reminding his disciples of the history of God's people who have always been persecuted and shamed for uh, loving God and for worshiping God. We need to, uh, with the gospel of the good news, we need to also show that the gospel is also bad news. And if we don't do that, we are uh, giving them only half the story. In what way is the gospel both good and bad news? It is good news for those who accept. It is a judgment for those who reject. We cannot just say, well, come and everything will be fine. Life is rosy. We need to also explain with the gospel, as part of the gospel, that you are giving your whole life. I know churches where pastors, uh, when they baptize uh, men or women who accept Jesus Christ, they tell them, are you willing to die for Christ? In India, for instance, they say, are you willing to die for Christ? And I uh, have often done that with those who have come out of Islam, and I know they may be suffering persecution. And I tell them in advance that you're not coming just to benefit from Jesus Christ. You're not just coming to benefit from Christianity being a Christian, because many come to Christianity to benefit. Some uh, find it uh, easier because of the freedom 
in opposition to the difficult and legalistic system they came out of. Some find jobs, some come for humanitarian aid and all kinds of other false motives. But we need to explain that part of the gospel it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. As Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, so that one day we may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus demonstrated in his life that he was willing to die, and in fact he did die. He also uh, fearlessly confronted people who were looking to persecute him and to kill him. And by that he was training his disciples in being ready to suffer for uh, the gospel. Jesus did not make it easy for the disciples, and we ourselves must not make it easy either. Of course, we don't want to frighten people. We want people to uh, realize that there are great blessings in coming uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must preach forgiveness of sins and eternal life and all the great wonderful promises. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And without Him, there is no salvation. But also when we come to Jesus, we come to die die to self, die to old life, uh, die to uh, our uh, pleasures of this earth. We cannot both eat the cake and have it at the same time. We need to exchange this life with his life. And he says, anybody who leaves father and mother and all the other things will uh, gain much more reward. God will make it up for us both in eternal life and life on earth. The gospel is costly. And, um, and I want to end this uh, session by saying, remember in your ministry to Muslims to preach and teach and heal. Some people say, I just want to evangelize. I don't want to take care of the physical needs of people. There are people who are suffering. I was in Beirut, Lebanon, a few months ago couple months ago and saw the thousands of refugees coming out of Syria. Definitely my purpose was to share the gospel with them, to give them a piece of literature, tracts, the Jesus film. We have a packet we, gave, we give to each one of them. But we also had blankets and we had some food and we had other needs because these people had physical needs you cannot ignore. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he saw all kinds of things. He saw people with a, with a physical need for healing, uh, one time for food, and he made food for them. Uh, from five loaves and bread, he was able to, and fi two fishes, he was able to feed the thousands. But he also ministered to their souls and to their hearts and addressed the uh, key issues in their lives uh, legalism, uh, lust. Uh, love of money, and all kinds of things. So the full gospel is preaching, teaching, and healing the sick so that we look at the whole man and not just at his soul.